Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We continue in our series based from the book of Revelation entitled Love Letters from the Lord as we are joined by Nate Glover. Nate will be encouraging us to live for the rope as he preaches on the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, Christ Church. <laughs> it was so much fun getting to be with you guys last week. Um, uh, although the lights did go out. And uh, my dad, he was talking to me, he said, Nate, you know, I, I heard you online, and I wish I could have been there to see you. And I said, Dad, you didn't miss anything. They didn't see me either. <laughs> so, um, Grandpa John, thanks for that introduction. I got to tell you, this is, I don't have time to explain it, but this church would not exist were it not for John Gus, but neither would Urban Impact. I can't explain that, but that's true. That's why I call him Grandpa John. So, uh, I'm excited about this sermon, uh, partially because I get to tell one of my favorite stories. It's a story of a man who uh, wants to get on an airplane, or he's getting on an airplane, at an airport, and he wants two things. It's the morning time, and he's a classic American. So, he grabs a cup of coffee and a small bag of miniature donuts. Yes. So, he goes to said area where you can procure such things. He does. And then he goes to the area where the people are eating. And he finds that there is nowhere to sit except for one seat across from another man. And risking the potential awkwardness, he sits across from that other man, places his things down, sets down his coat, sits down. Ah, very nice. Grabs his cup of coffee, takes a sip, grabs a bag of donuts, opens it up, Takes a donut, eats it, it's delicious, puts the bag of donuts down. And then the unthinkable happens. The man across from him reaches across the table, grabs the mini bag of donuts, opens it up, eats one, smiles. <laughs> this man is beside himself. He does not know what to do. So he, he kind of gives him one of those, if looks could kill looks, one of those... And then he grabs the mini bag of donuts, eats one, makes sure he sees it, puts it next to him in the farthest corner away from this other man, turns his, his body, body language, right? Opens his newspaper and is like... The man reaches across the table again, grabs the mini bag of donuts, opens it, eats one, smiles. Well, now this time, he's like, it's time for a reprimand, right? So, but then he has a thought. What if... Our friend is a little... The, the elevator doesn't reach the top floor, right? He's one banana shy of a fruit bowl. So he, he refrains. He says, I'm not going not to deal with it. I'm, I'm just going to let it go. A couple minutes later, the man opposite gets up uh, and he says, Oh, my, my, my plane's arrived, or it's time for me to board. Grabs his things, waves, smiles, and leaves. Our friend's like, Well, it's about time, you donut thief. But then he, he, gra- he looks at his watch. Oh, it's my time to go too. So he grabs all his things. Starts getting up. Grabs the donuts. Grabs the, the coffee. Then he looks down at his bag. And upon his bag is his bag of donuts. <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. He thought <laughs> that the man opposite was stealing his donuts. <laughs> if only... <laughs> No, in reality, the man was graciously sharing his donuts with him. 
Now listen. God owns all the donuts. <laughs> all the donuts. Your donuts and my donuts. And sometimes we're tempted to think that the donuts that we have in our possession are actually ours. But that is not true. Here's how I know it's not true. Science tells us that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed. Okay. So when you die, all of your donuts are still going to be here. And me too. In fact, if the entire human race were to perish, all of the raw materials that we've ever owned would still be here. The only thing that could remove those raw materials is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He owns them. You just have them for a short while and are a steward of them. And that is the way I want to frame this sermon. To help us understand, because we're going to be talking about open doors today. And how we can get God to open one for us. But I want us to be thinking about donuts while we do so. So, um, oh, I have to say one thing about this sermon too. Normally, I like to uh, do what's called exegetical sermons. I take the scripture. So my normal practice, I read it in English. I read it in the original language. I read the commentaries. Sermon. That is not how this happened. I was sitting in, uh, in, in my dad's office, actually, confessing sin on last Sunday. A great practice. We should all do it. And while I was confessing my sins to the Lord and praising him, he gave me the whole sermon in one hour. Whole thing. All the parts. All I had to do this week was arrange them and memorize it. But the whole sermon. And so here's the thing. He made it clear that there is somebody here that this is for. I do not know who. I had no one in my mind when this was created. It just happened all at once. And so if this is you, know that God loves you. And he has a message for you right now. Pay attention. So let's read our passage today. We're just going to look at the first two verses. That's it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. All right, so let's break that down a little bit. The first thing we need to notice is that the word, that the, when we're talking about doors in our passage... We are talking about opportunities. It's a metaphor. So God, Jesus is talking about doors, and it's a metaphor for opportunity. I really like the metaphor that God uses because opportunities, much like doors, can open, them, can open themselves to us, but they're not ours until we walk through the door, so to speak. They don't become our opportunity until we take advantage of them. The second thing that the passage assumes is that God's not the only one opening doors. Men, women, angels, demons can also open up doors. This is very important for our theology because sometimes we can start to think that if someone has a lot of opportunities open to them, that means they've been obedient to God. That's not necessarily the case. You can be wealthy, you can be successful in this life, and not following Jesus, because people open up doors. But there's a difference between the doors that God opens and the doors that men open, and it is this. When God opens a door, nobody can shut it. And when he closes it, no man, no angel, no demon can pry that thing open. He alone has control over that door. And so the question that I want to ask you today is this. Is there a door 
that you need the Lord to open in your life. You have a friend or a family member that you're worried about. Or a financial situation. Or something going on with your job. Do you have a physical, a mental, emotional need? Do you have an addiction that you need God to open a door in? Because what we're going to talk about today is how to get God to open up doors. So if you had something you've been worried about for a week, a month, a year, take out a pen, take out a piece of paper, grab your phone, iPad, however you take notes, because this is for you. But in order to explain how we can have doors open for us, I need to introduce you to this rope. Now, Francis Chan introduced me to this rope originally. This rope um, represents your life. Now, when God created you, he created an eternal being, someone who was going to live forever and ever and ever. That's why this rope goes around the door and beyond our sight because hype, because, well, not hypothetical, but in make-believe, this rope goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. You have never met a normal person. Every time you shook someone's hand, every time you hugged an individual, you were hugging an everlasting creature that if they had their new glorified bodies, you would be tempted to worship them. Whether they were your worst enemy or your best friend, they are unbelievable. You have never met an ordinary person, ever. And neither are you, and neither am I, because we were created to exist forever. Now, do you see the very front of this rope? There's a little black line. Can everyone see that? Maybe you can't because it's too small, and that's okay. Because this line right here represents your earthly life. That's the whole thing. 70 to 100 years, give or take, that's all you got. Now, I'm not diminishing the, the, the importance of this life because this little beginning will ripple into eternity. For the decisions that you make here are incredibly important and they will ripple into your eternity. But here is the trick, and this is what is tragic. I know so many people with the way that they organize their finances, the way that they organize their family, the way they organize their time, they are living as if this line is everything. As if it's the whole deal. And it ain't. And not only for them, but for everyone you're around. And so in order to have doors open for us from God, not from man, from God, we have to live for the rope, not the line. The Lord will never open up a door for a person who, lo- who lives for the line. The only way a person like that will find a door from God is by accident. You might just stumble into one. A great example is King Nebuchadnezzar. Until he eventually writes a book of the Bible. But he's doing God's will. He just has no idea he's doing it. And there are two reasons that I want to give you for why God will not open up a door for someone living on the line. The first one is this. It's the same reason that none of us would give a lot of our money to someone who is legally insane. Okay. A person who's legally insane, the reason they have that title is because they can't be held fully or entirely responsible for their actions. And the reason for that is because they're not quite in touch with reality. Now, I'm not diminishing the worth of that person. I'm not saying that person is important to God and to us. They are. They were created in the image of God. And so we are to love and care for those people. And we should give money to people who take care of those people. But we would not give our money to an individual like that. Why? They're not in touch with reality. 
And if we were to give money, they either wouldn't know what to do with it or would endanger themselves and other people by using it. If we live for the line, we are not in touch with reality. We are not in touch with reality because we're living as if this was everything and there's so much more. More than we can even fathom because eternity, like all we know is things that begin and end. But eternity? Oh, we have no clue what that's like and there's only one person who does. Which leads me to my second point. When my son was first learning to walk, he had an infatuation with power outlets. He'd take his little finger and he'd just be like, I want to get in there. And I'd be like, son, don't do that. Yo, stop. And I would stop myself. Eventually I had to spank him so he'd get the message. Like, you can't do that, buddy. Now for the moms in the room, I'm going to let you know, we got plugs on all the outlets. My son is safe. Okay. <laughs> but, but until we did, I, it, was, it was dad's hand or his death. So I was like, okay. So anyway, so he did eventually figure it out and he wouldn't go near him. But in between that time, when I would stop him, he'd be like, Dad, what are you, why are you harshing my mellow? I'm just trying to live, man. I'm doing me. And then, why won't you open this door for me, Dad? You see, the best thing that my son could do would be to rely on the experience and the wisdom of his father. Because his father knew about that outlet. He knows the way to use it and the way not to use it. Best thing my kid can do Trust me, I don't care if you're a hundred years old in here, you are an infant compared to the eternal God. He knows all of your children and he knows all of your ancestors. He sees all of the different eternal ropes all at the same time. He is watching everything. He knows how everything is designed, how it's supposed to work, and he knows it in its fullness. And the best thing that we can do is trust dad. Trust dad. He loves you and he created you. Trust dad. So how do we live for the rope? Three things I want to say. First thing is this. We got to read scripture daily. Now here's the thing. We don't have to be experts on it. We all don't get to go to seminary. That was something God let me do. Praise his name. But we all don't get the chance to do that. What we need to know about Scripture is this. Scripture gives us the confines of God's will. In other words, Scripture tells us the types of things that God would say and the types of things that God won't say. It attunes our ears to what God sounds like. So if a person comes up to me and says, you know, Nate, I've uh, I've been praying a lot, and I feel like God is just telling me that I need to murder my next-door neighbor in cold blood. I'm going to be like, Get behind me, Satan, right? (laughs) But I know he's not hearing from, he might be hearing from something, but he's not hearing from God because God's word says thou shalt not murder, right? This book gives us the confines of God's will and attunes our ears to what he sounds like. Second thing, we need to constantly go back to God and ask him to give us his eternal perspective. Remember, he's watching all the eternity ropes. He existed in eternity past and and in and in eternity future, and in the present. He knows it all. He understands it all. And so if we, so the thing we need to ask is, Lord, why me? Why at this time? Why give me this, these gifts? Why, are, why did you create me with these desires and, and, and these abilities and these friends and this family? Why are you doing this? And so if we keep going to him with that question over and over and over again, the Lord will guide our steps. And, and I can tell you 
Praise be to God that my entire life I have lived this way. Because when I was born, my parents said, you have been created for a purpose that only you can do. That when God created you, he gave you all the tools that you're ever going to need. Now, having a chisel and a hammer and some stone does not make you Michelangelo, right? So you got to learn some things. But all the things you were ever going to need for whatever God created you for, you had it at birth. You just got to trust him. So I spent my life going, okay, God, what's the next step? And this is kind of what it feels like. It's like you're walking through the snow and he makes an imprint in the snow and then you like jump in the imprint. Now, sometimes there's a big dis, uh, distance time-wise between imprint to imprint. What that means is that you've got some things to learn in that imprint. God's got some big footprints. There's things to learn there. Let me tell you how it happened practically for me. When I was, uh, my, my mom couldn't get pregnant. And so she was praying and asking the Lord uh, to help her conceive. And she promised she, get, she did Hannah's prayer from the Old Testament. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. When I was six years old, the Lord called me into the ministry at a conference that my dad started called Urban Impact Foundation. And I responded and said, yes, I will, do the, I will join you, Lord, in your ministry. Now, when I was in high school, I didn't really want to do that anymore. And so I had some bouts with God. And that's okay. We can disagree with God as long as we never reject his advice. We can say, Lord, I don't understand. Why are we doing this? So long as we let him lead. By college, I was letting him lead. When I get to college, I graduated in three years because I worked pretty hard. But every single year before uh, tuition was due, because I thought I was going to have to take out loans. Every year before tuition was due, God assembled either a group of people or one person to pay for that year. Every single year. And so I graduated from college debt-free. I went to school for free, not on scholarship. But just God provided. Now, why did he do that? Because the next stage in my journey, the next footprint, if you will, was that I had to work at Urban Impact Foundation. And that's a support raise position. So we're not making a ton of money doing that. And the Lord knew that if I was going to do his ministry with freedom, that I couldn't be weighed down by debt. Now, when I was on the phone accepting my job at Urban Impact, the Lord placed this in my mind. It was a command. He said, three years and you're going to seminary. Now, my response to the Lord was, you better make that dummy proof because I don't want to go to seminary. (laughs) I had no desire to do that. Two and a half years later, an individual comes to visit Urban Impact Foundation from another part of the country. And he's checking out Urban Impact, and there's a, there's a room full of people, probably about a couple, maybe 150. And I'm meeting all these people. It's, it's one of those meet and greet things you've probably been to. I spent about 15 minutes with this individual, talking to him about me, some of the things I'm thinking about. Seminary was one of the things. Flies back to where he's from. A couple months later, he gives my dad a call on the phone. Says, I will pay everything he needs to go to seminary. Paid for my entire seminary education. Paid for me to go to Oxford and study under Ravi Zacharias' ministry. Paid for the whole gig. Now, throughout this entire process, I'm just saying, God, what do you want? What's the next step? I will go. Make it dummy proof because I'm a dummy. Just make it really clear. And if you hold my hand, I, I will walk with you. And I'm constantly going back. Why would you give me this? Why are you putting me in this, in this situation? Now, not everybody's story is the same. 
My brother Joshua's story is different than mine. A lot more struggle. But when God opened up doors for him, they were perfect for what God was creating him to do. And when God opens doors for you, even if it doesn't look like my situation, the doors he's opening for you are perfect for you. Think of the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. So much struggle, but it's perfect. God opened doors because he was going to save a nation. The last thing we got to do is really more of an attitude. This is the litmus test. This is how you know if you're living for the rope. If you're living for the line, this is not your attitude. But if you're living for the rope, your attitude is this. An open door for you, no matter who opens it, is the same as, it's equal to, an open door for the gospel. Whatever opportunity you receive, what motivates you, what's in your mind, you're thinking, how can I impact other relationships, the people I know? How can I use these resources I've been given? How can I use whatever it is I have to impact people for Jesus? Now, what's the gospel? The gospel is this, very, very short version of the gospel. How to begin and exist in a relationship with Jesus and through Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. How to begin and exist in a relationship with Jesus. So when opportunities come your way, you're thinking, how does this affect relationships? How does this affect this? Does this person need to begin a relationship with Jesus? Or do they need to more fully experience a relationship with Jesus? And how can I be involved in that, Lord? What are you doing here? You see? And if you do that, I guarantee he will open doors for you that no man can shut and he will close doors that no man can open and I do not care how old you are. You might be sitting in here right now and you're thinking, Nate, that's all great, but I've lived X amount of years and I wasn't thinking that way. So what now? The Lord promises I can give back what the locusts have taken. He can give it back to you. And you will, you will live a life like the one I'm living, like the one that so many people that I love are living, where we're living for the rope and we're seeing things you could not imagine until they happen. And it can happen for you. But you got to want it. It's a door. And I, I tell you the truth, whoever you are in this room, there is a door that is open for you and you get to choose now. Do you walk or do you look at it? But there's one more piece of this sermon that I've got to preach so that you understand so that you understand the scope of the story. You see, God will sometimes, though, open up doors that you don't want to walk through. Because sometimes an open door for the gospel means suffering for you. That's why Paul wrote this. He said, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my, fret, my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is his church. Now, what's Paul saying? Is he saying that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough to pay for our, all of our sins? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for you, but in order for it to get to you, in order for you to hear about the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, I had to suffer. Paul says, I rejoice in that suffering because I suffer with Jesus. There's a vicariousness in sin. 
One person commits the sin, and another person has to come and be afflicted that that other person might be healed. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. We committed the crime. We committed the sin. And Jesus came on that cross and paid that you and I might be healed. But sometimes we have to participate in that. For some people, the only way they will see Jesus is through your suffering. I had a friend, and he was famous in his household for singing hymns in his room, and everyone in the house could hear it. He just loved singing to the Lord. My neighborhood is pretty rough. And one day, my friend uh, witnessed a murder in our neighborhood. And he knew who did it. Now, where I grew up, the absolute worst sin that you could possibly commit is is called snitching. It's when you go to the authorities and tell them uh, about a crime. And it doesn't matter how bad the crime is. It could be murder, it could be rape, it could be anything. Going to the authorities and saying who did it is the worst thing you can do. But my friend believed that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So he went to the authorities and told them what had happened. A few months later, he's at his grandma's house. And a professional killer takes his life. Does what you believe give you courage? Because my friend believed with his... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And my friend believed with his whole life that Jesus was telling the truth. And he died walking in the way that Jesus walked. And he didn't just change the people around him. He changed me too. He gave me courage. Because I'd ask the question, if I was in his shoes, would I do the same? He lived for the rope. He wasn't afraid. Man, you know, he was afraid. But like John Wayne used to say, courage is not the absence of fear. It's being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That's what my, that's what my friend did. And it gave me courage. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment. I'm going to ask, have you been living for this line and ignoring the rope? Because today I want to offer you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, you're, maybe you know, you've known about the Lord and you've done church. That's things you, or maybe, <clears throat> maybe you haven't. But I want to give you an opportunity right now to say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for the rope. Right now. And I want to believe things that give me courage. Because the truth is, every single one of us is going to have to suffer. Every one of us. We don't have a choice. We're all going to grow old. We're all going to age. We're going to experience disease. And there's just no way out of it. The choice before us is not suffering or no suffering. The choice before us is how we suffer. Do we suffer with meaning? Do we suffer with the hope knowing that it will end in the rope? It will end. And do we suffer knowing that in the line we suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ? If that is something you want, then pray this prayer with me. The prayer isn't magic. The Lord Jesus is the magic. And when you begin a relationship with him, it will change everything, just like it changed it for me and for my friend. And into eternity, I will look him in the face, and I'll get to tell him, 
you gave me courage. Thank you for the example that you gave. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, please bow your heads with me. Close your eyes and pray this to Jesus. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have made mistakes. But I know that Jesus Christ died for my sin, that you died for my sin, and were raised again from the dead to prove once and for all that if I give my life to you, I will live forever with you. So Lord Jesus, right now, I give you my life. And I ask that you would show me what I was created for. And I promise to walk obediently with you until my life's end. In Jesus' name, amen. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to see your hand because I want to, I want to talk to you. And I want to pray for you. If, you. if you could just raise your hand right now so that I can see it. Okay. I see your hand, sir. I see your hands. I see your hand. Know that this is your new birthday because the Holy Spirit is going to make us home with you right now in a way that you have never experienced and you will live for the rope. Let's clap for these people who just joined us. Please come see me before you leave. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray and I'll just say one thing. This is the benediction, I suppose. Live for the rope. Don't live for the line. Whether you believe or you... Well, if you are believing, I'm believing everybody in here is. Live for the rope. Father God, I thank you that you created us and you created us to be eternal beings to live with you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to get to live in relationship with you for all eternity. And I thank you, Lord, for opening up a door to every single one of us to get to join you in the greatest show on earth. Father, I pray that the people who have given their lives to you right now, that you would show yourself faithful as you have shown yourself faithful to me. And I pray for my friend, Lord. I know his soul is ever before your face. Tell him that he still gives me courage. In Jesus' name, amen.